So, we will be speaking about some uh, quite deep subjects today, because during these to talks that we give here, often we make lots of jokes and we keep it lighthearted. But the Buddha had a lot of very deep things to say as well. He had a lot of jokes as well, as we'll see, he even uses word jokes, puns even, when teaching very deep subjects. But uh, he did teach very deep and very, uh, yeah, very profound subjects. And I'm always drawn to teaching those. That's why I like teaching sutta classes and things, because that's where the, the die-hard Buddhists come. Eh? <laughs> and uh, during those norm, the Friday evening talks, there's a or mix of crowds sometimes, or even kids and stuff. So it's for Arjun Brahm even also not easy to talk about the deep subjects. I remember once there was a Friday evening talk and because of COVID regulations, people had to register to come. And so only again, the diehards came. <laughs> and then Arjun Brahm said, ah, now I can finally talk about the deep subjects. But during the Sutta classes, we can also do the same. But still, uh, with Sutta classes, it's still um, hard to judge the audience, especially because with these classes, we have to prepare in advance. And the Buddha taught on so many different subjects. He taught about morality, about meditation, about how to live with people, but also about suffering and about rebirth. And, the more deeper kinds of subjects. And so we, I prepared a subject today which is about rebirth and about how to uh, end rebirth, how to not get reborn, which is what the Four Noble Truths of the Buddha are all about. So this is where the really, uh, the, the really core teachings of the Buddha come down to this because some of you will know the second noble truth is the craving that leads to rebirth is the cause of suffering. And we don't want to suffer. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to anyway. <laughs> maybe, maybe some of you wake up in the morning and think, ah, I, I'm going to suffer a lot today, I hope. No, you don't, right? You want to get rid of suffering. That's a natural inclination of the mind. And if you want to get rid of suffering, then you will have to get out of rebirth because there's a big problem that most people in the world have is that they are still stuck in samsara like a dog on a leash. That's the title that of the sutta. The, the, the official title of the sutta is just dog on a leash, but to make it a bit more explanatory what's going on, I expanded a bit just uh, for this lesson, for this class, stuck in samsara like a dog on a leash. Samsara is the round of rebirth. So is everybody happy to hear about that topic or shall I talk about something else? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. All right. Let's do that then because I don't have another sutta anyway. So that's, that's good. But this is also, is actually a sutta where you can get, uh, you'll see you can get multiple uh, angles you can take on it. And there's probably something in it for everybody. This is, this is what I like about the suttas in general. 
that uh, there's so much topics are being addressed and you can also also look at the same suit that two people can look at it from different perspectives and get a different message out of it. So I will read out this sutta and give the message that I read in it, uh, some ideas that I would like to share. But you might read this sutta and get different ideas from it because it speaks to you on a different level. This is so amazing about the suttas that the Buddha uses all sorts of metaphors and uh, different ways of explaining things that can speak on different levels. So from time to time, I will also ask you maybe what you think about this sutta and how it speaks to you, if that's okay. So let's start now, because it's quite long and we may not get to the end. We'll see, but well, at least I want to get to here because I even made a drawing to explain it, so we should get there at least, <laughs> which is already quite far into the sutta. So let's go. Mendicants. Mendicants is, yeah, now I'm gonna explain the first word again already. I mean, if I'm already gonna explain the first word and we'll be here definitely forever, but mendicants is another word for bhikkhus basically. It's a bit old fashioned, but it is a good translation because it means somebody who goes for alms round who relies on donations for a living and Ajahn Sujato translates it this way and so do I this is my translation by the way I like in Sutta classes to use my own translations obviously no <laughs> no it's just because sometimes these classes end up being oh uh, they translated this word I would have translated it that way and then half the lesson you're talking about translation uh, sometimes that's some sort of misses the main points so that's why i like to just have my translation so i'm not saying ah bhikkhu bodhi translated this way i would have done it that way uh, do you see it would create a lot of confusion also so that's why these are my translations hopefully you trust my translations <laughs> i've been teaching pali for many years so i think they should be okay mendicants transmigration has no discernible beginning transmigration is samsara this is the round of rebirth where we go from one life to the uh, to the next and it has no discernible beginning says the buddha you will find no start to the transmigration of beings who roam around obstructed by ignorance and chained by craving imagine a dog on a leash tied to a strong post or pillar. Wherever he walks, stands, sits, or lies down, he does so right beside that post or pillar. Likewise, unlearned ordinary people perceive form to be me, my, myself. They perceive feeling, perception, will, and consciousness to be me, my, myself. Wherever they walk, stand, sit, or lie down, they do so right along those five taken up aspects of existence. Explain, explain, I'll explain later. Therefore, you should regularly reflect upon your mind thinking. For a long time, this mind has been contaminated with desire, anger, and delusion. Beings are contaminated because the mind is contaminated. They are purified when the mind is purified. 
for a long time this mind has been contaminated. The Buddha says here. I thought I'd read out the whole paragraph first before I start explaining it. So you got a little bit of an idea what's going on. But I'll go back to the beginning again. Transmigration has no discernible beginning. You will find no start to the transmigrations of beings who roam around, obstructed by ignorance and chained by craving. This is what the Buddha says. Even the Buddha says you, it's so hard, you can't find the beginning. So long he has been stuck in here, in this going from life to life, being reborn as a, as a man, as a woman, as an animal, as we'll see later. As all sorts of beings, we have been reborn, uh, the Buddha says. For, for a long, long time, and roaming around, obstructed by ignorance. The word for obstructed is usually translated hindrance, but uh, it's nivarana. Nivarana also has the, is, is not just the hindrance. When I think of a hindrance, I think of those kind of things where, uh, you know, when in the Olympic Games, you have those people who run and then jump over those kind of things. What is that called? Hordes or something? Hurdles, hurdles, okay. In, in Dutch it's hordes, I think. But hurdles, yeah, that's what I think about when I hear the word hindrance. It's just a hurdle, you, you can maybe walk around it or whatever, it's just in the way. But the word nisarana means also something that covers uh, you. It's like more like a, a, a hindrance in the sense of a door that you can't see what's on the other side. Uh, it even means like a veil, you know, the kind of thing that people put over their heads so they can't see. That is what nivarana also means. That's why I like a little bit more obstructed because it has to, has a little bit more of that sense that you, you can't you can't tell what's on the other side, to me anyway, because of ignorance. We can't see what is going on. Uh, we we don't understand that what suffering is and why we are suffering in the first place. And chained by craving. The word for chained is usually fetter, but that's a little bit old-fashioned. So, fetter is something that ties you down. And so, I, I translate chain because it, we're, we're tied down, we're chained down in samsara by this craving. But craving to keep existing, to have more and more experiences. Now we want to experience this and that. Craving is not just about craving for ice cream or craving for a romantic partner. But the real deep craving that exists deep inside of us is more like a very subtle desire to just be something, to just have some sort of happiness experience. And that very desire, that very craving, you, maybe you can imagine how that sort of could keep you stuck in actual existence. Because you want to keep existing. That's why we are stuck in samsara. We suffer because we want to suffer, basically. That's what the Noble Truth tells us. And this passage on transmigration has no discernible beginning. For you will find no start to transmigration of beings who roam around, obstructed by ignorance and chained by craving. It sounds like something 
you just have to take on faith forever. But it is actually in one of the suttas said to be the insight of the stream winners. They know that they have been stuck in transmigration, in samsara for a long, long time. But they also know that it's almost over because the stream winner has understood the suffering of existence. And they understand that it is because of craving that they have been keeping reborn for this long time. And that's why I like these deep topics, because the point of Buddhism is not just to create more happy people or to create uh, a little bit less suffering in the world. It's to actually get people out of the round of rebirth. And these topics don't speak to everybody, I know, but I'd rather speak to 10% of the people on the topics that really matter than be uh, talk on topics that speak to 100% of people, but that just sort of stay superficial, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather kick one person out of samsara than have 10,000 people like my talk. <laughs> yeah. I don't really care what people think as long as I can maybe maybe one day kick somebody out of samsara then I will be a very happy monk. Or if I don't then I'm also happy whatever you can do whatever you want. You can stay in here stuck in samsara if you want. <laughs> but maybe you don't. That's probably why you're here. You don't. So imagine back to the sutta again. Imagine a dog on a leash tied to a strong post or pillar. So this, is, of course, comes back to chained by craving. Yeah, The dog is stuck on a leash. The leash is, stands for craving by which we are chained. And it's tied to a strong post or pillar. Wherever he walks, uh, stands. This is also why I, my translation, I like I, I call dogs he, not it. Yeah, And dogs, we'll see, are just same kind of beings as us. They're just stuck in samsara just the same. Yeah? And it sounds a bit like object, so I prefer he or she or they. But in this case, it was uh, a he. Wherever he walks, stands, sits, or lies down, he does so right beside that poster pillar because, of course, they're tied to it. Likewise, unlearned ordinary people, these are the uh, Putujanas, then basically people who have not yet seen the Four Noble Truths, the, those are called the uh, also the uninstructed worldly, the uh, worldlings is sometimes translated, but I do unlearned ordinary people. They perceive form to be me, my, myself, perceive feeling, perception, will and consciousness to be me, my, myself. These are the five what so-called aggregates, or as I like to translate more akin to Ajahn Brahm, the five aspects of existence, the khandhas. Because aggregates, there's a reason why they're called aggregates, but uh, the word is a bit, bit weird. So uh, the reason why they're called aggregates is because inside of 
then the Buddha says, everything of that specific type is included. For example, the aggregate of uh, consciousness includes all types of whatever consciousness. It aggregates, uh, if that word, word speaks to you, if you know what that means, it aggregates all the types of consciousness uh, that there are here or near or far, subtle or sublime, of the past, the present and the future and so on. All consciousness is included. That's why they are called aggregates. So all consciousness, here the Buddha says, we've been stuck to, yeah, and we, we think that it is me, my, myself, and the will, the perceptions and feelings and form. You will have heard of these five aggregates before, and I don't have the time to address them now in detail, but they are just uh, specific aspects of, of existence. That's why I translated it as aspects of existence. Yeah. So form is primarily the, the, the physical body that we have, feeling perception, and consciousness are always uh, sort of intermingled. You can't really separate them from another, but they're different aspects of experience, basically. Feeling means whether something feels pleasant or painful. Perceptions is more like the way you interpret the thing you, you see. And consciousness is just the awareness itself. Yeah. And the will is, uh, the sankara is like um, the, 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 the volitional aspect or, or um, the thing that is, we think is in control. The, the, we identify with these things as me, my, myself. Primarily, you could say, with the will and consciousness and, and the body. That's another way just to make it more easy to understand. Instead of five aggregates, you can think of it as the body, the doer, and the knower. That's what Ajahn Brahm often separates it into, the body, the doer, and the knower. We think those are ours. And we think we are the person who does the things, that we are somehow in control, that the will is ours. And we think that we are the knower, that consciousness, that we are the one who perceives things. But in reality, life is just a process. And there's no really somebody that you can point at and say, this is the person who is conscious or who owns consciousness. Consciousness is uh, like, mm, like you see now the projector screen, you see something on projected on the screen, right? But there's nothing really there, it's just a light hitting the screen. It's a sort of the same with consciousness. There's not somebody who is the light or who is the awareness. It's just a process of awareness. And these kind of things you can see through with deep meditation. But let me move on a bit. Because otherwise, as I said, we'll never get there. Whenever they walk, stand, sit, or lie down. So this, of course, is, is like the metaphor for a dog. Yeah? I said earlier the, the Buddha made all these metaphors. So here he compares all sorts of beings, basically speaking to us. You, he says, you're like a dog tied to these, uh, to these five aspects of existence. So wherever we walk, stand, sit, or lie down, in samsara, basically, wherever we exist in samsara, is what he's saying, you, we do so 
right along those five taken up aspects of existence, the upadana kanda. They're taken up because we were reborn. When we were reborn, we took up upadana, these five aspects of existence when we were born. So even arahant enlightened people still have taken up aspects of existence, upadana kandas, because they were born and they took them up when they were born. So we all, this is all there exists, is what the Buddha is saying. Because wherever in samsara we are, wherever we walk, stand, sit or die down, it's just those five taken up aspects of existence, those five kandas, upadana kandas. Basically he's saying here, that's all there is, these five things. That's, that's what you've always been, keep coming back to from life to life. And thinking they are something to do with you. And thinking they are happiness. That there is something intrinsically worthwhile in it. But just like the light on the screen, there's nothing intrinsically worth keeping that light on forever. Same with consciousness and, and feeling perception, will and form. It's nothing really that we need to keep uh, existing forever because these things are just um, compared to the peace of Nibbana, which is the, the, the extinguishment of existence. Na, bhava nirodha nibbana. The extinguishment, nibbana, is the cessation of existence. It's the cessation of these five aggregates. The, now I'm talking about the nibbana that happens after an enlightened person passes away. Am I not, am I still having everybody, uh, do, I, do you still follow? I know some of you uh, I've seen many times before, but I don't know. Uh, for example, Eddie in the back, I've seen you all the time, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah? Who, who is t completely lost? Just raise your hand. Okay, nobody. How about you, Venerable? <laughs> okay, I'm losing Venerable a bit. So. This is the thing with suttas, they all interrelate, so you p just pick one out and then you always have to explain it in terms of other suttas. But over time, as you learn more and more, you get all these puzzle pieces and you start putting it together and you start uh, knowing what the Buddha's talking about. Anyway, yeah, so that is what existence is. It's just these five things. Well, things. There, there are five ways to sort of analyze existence, but there is nothing beyond the, the, beyond them. That's, that's the main point the Buddha's making here. Because this is all we've been stuck to all this time. Therefore, you should regularly reflect upon your mind thinking, for a long time this mind has been contaminated with desire, anger and delusion. Beings are contaminated because the mind is contaminated. They are purified when the mind is purified. So what do you think does it mean? For a long time this mind has been contaminated. What does that refer to? Who wants to have a guess? What do you think? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. That's what it. That's what it's more like with with the contaminated. Yeah, but I mean, for a long time. What what is a long time? What do you think is the long time the Buddha is speaking about? Is it just uh, yesterday to now, or is it? Uh, yeah, it's. Maybe I didn't ask my question correctly, but the long time means samsara, means transmigration. Yeah. So it doesn't just mean oh, a long time, maybe since I was born until now, but whatever. No, long time, digaratang. This word occurs again and again when the Buddha sp speaks about samsara. He always says, for a long time. So when we see this word, not always it means samsara, but definitely in this context, that's what the Buddha's talking about here. He says, you should reflect upon that for a long time, throughout samsara, this mind has been contaminated with these things. Because it's because of desire, anger, and delusion. This is just yet another way of looking at the defilement of the mind. That we are stuck in the, to this pillar of, the, of uh, the five khandhas. This is why we're stuck in samsara. Beings are contaminated because the mind is contaminated. Basically means the mind is the problem, not, not the body. That's how I read it. There's more ways you can read it. As I said, there's so many levels to these kinds of statements. They are purified when the mind is purified. It's basically referring to the Eightfold Path. Yeah, purify your minds. Then, then you will get out of this, uh, this endless cycle. So that's, that's just the first paragraph, took me half an hour already. <laughs> well, including the little delay at the start. Is there any questions so far? Or comments? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, and just, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, okay, so the, the suggestion here is to translate instead of obstructed by ignorance, to translate it as blinded by ignorance. Be yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, why I started laughing is, and I'm not lying, I only made one note on the slide to maybe change, or on the piece of paper to maybe change my translation for this class. And what is the one note? I struck out, obstructed, and wrote blindness. <laughs> and that is exactly your suggestion. So maybe that's indeed a good idea. Yeah, or blinded, not blindness. Blinded by ignorance, yeah. You, you can see it from there even. Yeah. You see? So... Excellent suggestion, I approve. But I stayed with obstructed because, yeah, I don't know why, actually. It, it, it relates a bit more to the five hindrances. Yeah, you don't call them the five blindnesses. That's, it's connected to that as well. Yeah, it's not bad, but it, has all, it definitely has this idea of not being able to see as well as that it just blocks your path as well. So... Obstructed, blinded, yeah. Different different aspects of the same thing.
Thank you for that comment. Yeah. Right. So that's the first paragraph. That's already uh, hundreds of hours you could could uh, reflect upon that, especially when you have the deeper meditations and you start actually abandoning these desire, anger, and delusion for a little bit, for a little while, I should say, in the jhanas, and the sense of self disappears, no longer me, my, myself, temporarily, then you start understanding what the Buddha is talking about here. But that is another topic, let's continue. Because there's some other interesting metaphors and images the Buddha brings up because so far we've seen this metaphor, this image of the dog but there's two other interesting images in this sutta and one is with a, a painting or a picture actually they're both with a picture but they're different, uh, different similes so the first one I'll read out first again and then we'll discuss it mendicants by the way this also includes of course lay people yeah it's not just mendicants who are stuck in samsara <laughs> that would be weird like you put on the robe and then you're stuck in samsara no everybody uh, who is not uh, enlightened or you could say it's not a stream winner is still stuck in samsara but the buddha uses the mendicants to address just the whole group there would, would probably have been lay people listening just the same but he always uh, addressed uh, the monks, or I won't go into that. It just uh, sometimes I like to speak about these details because I'm a little bit of a sutta nerd. I like to like to study it quite a bit because it inspires me so much. And there's even been studies just on the word bhikkhu, <laughs> whole pages written about why the Buddha used it, and I could explain it all. But then uh, then we are stuck not just in samsara but stuck in this hall forever as well. So mendicants, have you seen the picture called Wandering? Of course, this was a painted picture by, or drawn picture. Yeah, they didn't have uh, iPhone pictures. Yeah, of course. The picture called Wandering. The title is Charana, which also can mean also conduct. It's a bit like in English, the word, the way you walk your life. You know, it sort of means like the way you behave. I I feel, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm not native English speaker, so but the way you walk your life is like the way you conduct yourself, how you behave yourself. So that's has the word walk has the same dual connotation as charana, and wandering or conduct. Yes, venerable. The diversity in that picture called wandering is made by the mind. Yet the mind is even more diverse than that picture. Therefore, you should regularly reflect upon your mind thinking. For a long time this mind has been contaminated with desire, anger and delusion. Beings are contaminated because the mind is contaminated. They are purified when the mind is purified. So, one interesting thing to point out here is that the word for mind is chitta, and the word for picture is also chitta. So when I said earlier the Buddha was making little pun, he, that is what he's doing here. The, in Sanskrit, the words are different. Picture would be chitra, and mind just chitta. But in Pali, they uh, are the same. They're, 
They're, they're technically different words, but they're, they're pronounced the same. So he says, the mind, the chitta, is even more diverse than that picture, the chitta. So he, he compares the mind here to a picture where, but now the problem is, we don't really know what that picture was like, <laughs> because he doesn't explain it. It assumes you that the monks uh, and nuns and whatever, whoever else have maybe been listening, that they all understood what this picture was, um, but it doesn't say anywhere in the suttas. But the commentary says this. The Sankha were a sect of heretical Brahmins. Having taken a canvas, they had various pictures painted on it of the good and bad destinations to illustrate success and failure. And then they took it around on their wanderings. They would show it to people explaining if one does this, one gets this result. If one does that, one gets that. Still, not the most uh, descriptive uh, that we could desire, but it seems to, m to me, I imagine a picture with all sorts of different people on it, in all sorts of different uh, states, or maybe even other kind of beings as well. Like, um, that's what I imagine, a, a picture full of different beings in all different situations. And this is basically, seems to depict also samsara, because of course there you have all sorts of people, all sorts of beings and all sorts of different states. And if one does that deed, one gets this kind of a rebirth. And if one does that deed, one gets that kind of a rebirth. Well, not just one deed, but the things we do determine where we are reborn. So here the Buddha is saying, the mind is like that picture. So just to go a little bit back again. Mendicants, have you seen the picture called Wandering? Yes, Venerable. The diversity in that picture called Wandering is made by the mind. Because the mind has, of course, has uh, imagined that picture and draw it. It's, it's from the mind that it sort of, sort of came. S some kind of painter imagined it. All these different beings that are on there. That's how I imagine the picture. Yet the mind is even more diverse than that picture. Can it, The mind can think up much more than just that and also can make up many more rebirths than there were probably on that picture as well. Therefore you should regularly reflect upon your mind thinking for a long time, so throughout samsara, this mind has been contaminated with desire, anger and delusions. Beings are contaminated because the mind is contaminated. They are purified when the mind is purified. So that's the passage on the painting called wandering and we're left with a bit of uncertainty because we don't know the picture but the general idea seems to be still that uh, we are trapped in samsara like beings on that picture were trapped because of their deeds basically would you uh, interpret it somewhat similarly or somebody has another idea Eddie, I have another idea. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, exactly. Ah, no, I'm not sure about that. I agree. I agree with everything you said, Eddie. But when you you say the, uh, the human plane is the only plane where you can get out of samsara, I'm not sure if that's right because there were also deities living, uh, listening to the Buddha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I'm. I'm I think so that uh, other beings could also like higher beings, but in a sense, it doesn't matter, Eddie, because we're here right now and we are human beings. So, well, let's not let's not argue about whether who is right, whether other beings can also get out of samsara or not, <laughs> because we are here right now and we agree that we have the ability to get out of it. So, yeah, I hope you will. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll try to keep the comments a little bit brief because there's no microphone going around and people online will not hear anything of what we're saying, so of what you're saying. So, uh, yeah, but the comment was basically uh, that uh, uh, non-returners are one example of beings who are not human beings but get out of samsara. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much more time on that uh, uh, topic except to say that the, the Buddha was called the teacher of of uh, Deva Manusanang, Devas and humans. So the Devas were also listening, apparently. And I assume they also understood. So is everybody happy with that passage on the picture called Wandering? Yeah? Okay. Now, this sutta has all these different little passages that you can sort of almost isolate, in, isolate from one another. As long as you keep in mind that the context is transmigration has no discernible beginning. That's what this whole thing is about. And then you can also consider this passage. I do not know any order of beings so diverse as the animal realm. The diversity in the animal realm is also made by the mind. Yet the mind is even more diverse than that. Therefore, you should regularly reflect upon your mind thinking for a long time throughout samsara. This mind has been contaminated with desire, anger and delusion. Beings are contaminated because the mind is contaminated. They are purified when the mind is purified. Yeah? You get this nice little refrain that occurs again and again. I call it a refrain with, with the contaminated, this thing. So the... I do not know any order of being so diverse as the animal realm. There's so, diff so many different kinds of animals, he's saying. There is the dog. There is the human. We are animals, right? There's cows. 
as insects. Well, in actually, when in, in, in the suttas, there is a separation between the animal realm and the human realm, technically, but I include us also in the animal realm, I feel. <laughs> but yeah, because the separation is made there because animals can't really understand the Dhamma. Yeah, but we live, actually, we share the same sensual realm. It's not too much different between an animal and a human. Because the point here is also that we have been reborn as animals as well in the past. In some of the suttas, says the, the Buddha says, you cannot find any being, or it's very hard to find beings in samsara who have not been your father or your mother or your brother. Any kind of beings have been your close relatives in the past, the Buddha says, which is quite astonishing if you think about it. It means uh, the little spider that I saw earlier, I'm maybe closely connected to in a way. Yeah? Because spiders are also animals, and of course, what, what other kinds of animals are there? What are some of the strangest animals there are? Dinosaurs? Wow. Maybe we were dinosaurs in a past life, animal. Echidnas, yeah, they're platypus, yeah, they are. What is that animal group called again? Yeah, they basically lay eggs, but they are mammals, or still in a way. Anyway, yeah, so all sorts of uh, funny uh, animals, especially in Australia. <laughs> You've got kangaroos. Which country has kangaroos? The kangaroos are just. I live with them, but. And I should be used to them by now, but every time I see them jumping past my heart, I still think like, why? Why like why propel yourself like that? That seems so inefficient. And uh, yeah, but for some reason, animals are like that. And why is the diversity in the animal realm made by the mind? Why do you think that? Anybody, any idea? Yeah, that could be one way to look at this. As I said, yeah, the sutta can be looked at in different ways. So the comment is the mind uh, basically perceives all these different animals. Yeah, so that's one way. You could say the diversity in the animal realm is made by the mind. Definitely. To me, it's also... It, Mainly speaks on another level, though. Is anybody also any other suggestions? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, so another comment is it, it, it speaks about the, all the different things the mind can take up and crave for. Yeah. Eddie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe as well. 
What I think though, what the, when the Buddha says the diversity in the animal realm is made by the mind, he means that the mind is what creates rebirth. So because of the mind creates all this rebirth, that is how the diversity in the animal realm is created. Adi. Yeah. 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 I'll keep it a bit short because, as I said, people online can't hear anything of what we're saying. But because I think I get your point. Yeah. You're saying the mind is the forerunner of all things. Uh, yeah, that can be interpreted in different ways as well, of course. Yeah. But one way is to say the mind is the forerunner of all rebirths, because it's whatever rebirth we take we're, is caused by this mind, which is contaminated for a long, long time. Yeah? Because of desire, anger, and delusion, we have been reborn. So it's just because of desire, ang anger, and delusion and, uh, that the mind of different beings get reborn in all these different places. The mind is what creates these rebirths. This is, this is why the uh, order of beings is diverse, because the mind creates those rebirths, in a sense. That's how I interpret it. A definition of the mind. <laughs> well, the, the mind is just a... a yeah. The mind is just a label for all the mental things that go on in us basically inside of us it's not like a thing like this is the mind it's more like uh, a descriptive term for all of, for the uh, internal processes like your thoughts and emotions uh, emotions also exist in the body but you know what i mean the things in, that go inside what we say go inside your head go on inside your head that is basically the mind yeah not just the thoughts but also like uh, uh, internal joy that you might feel, happiness, the, all these emotions are part of the mind as well. Yeah. So now one more I would like to read out and then we stop. I told you we wouldn't make it to the end, but we did pretty well. So it's like an artist or painter producing a complete figure of a man or woman on a well-polished board or wall or canvas using dialect, tumoral, indigo and crimson. When unlearned, ordinary people produce a next life, they produce just form, feeling, perception, will and consciousness. And there's a whole lot in that simile. So I'll just take it step by step of how I interpret it, which is uh, the way the commentaries interpret it as well. I think they got it spot on. Uh, the commentaries, by the way, just a little side note, think, people often think that was just Buddha Gosa, Buddha Gosa's opinion, but the commentaries actually go way back beyond Buddha Gosa. He just sort of compiled uh, old commentaries that came, uh, some of them already came from India, uh, 
from the time from Ashoka. And uh, so this is basically the Theravadan ideas, not just Dudagosas. So what he says about this is, and how I interpret it as well, and I probably would have even without the commentaries, is as follows. It's like an artist or painter producing a complete figure of a man or woman on a well-polished board, wall or canvas. The board, the wall or the canvas stand for the three like wide realms of existence, the essential realm and what we call the form realm and the formless realm. These are higher realms which we cannot perceive with the uh, five senses, but uh, you can get an idea of what the, the so-called form realm is in the jhanas. So these are the board, the wall, the canvas are the three realms. And in that realm, we produce, well, mainly in the sensual realm, but we produce a complete figure of a man or a woman. This stands for the rebirth that we create. We create the, it's like you, you, you paint a picture of a man or a woman, it's like creating a rebirth. Yeah? You create a new being when you draw the being. That's the image that is being made here. You create the figure of a man or a woman. The word for figure is uh, is here rupa also. So that's, this is why rupa also uh, is so difficult to translate throughout the suttas. But here it sort of means the the body or the figure, the shape of the uh, man or woman. The form is what I translated it earlier. And an artist or painter produces this figure in the different realms. The artist or painter, the the commentary suggests stands for our wholesome and unwholesome commas. And the whole, the whole topic of comma is another discussion, but you will have heard before. The word for produce is actually uh, one of, it is a little bit hard to translate because it is abhinivati and it is also used in the definition of, of birth. When the Buddha defines the word birth, he says all these words like uh, uh, but what, and what is birth? Birth is getting born, acquiring the five khandhas, um, getting reborn, and he has this whole list of words, and one of them is just abhinibhati, and it actually is a word that just meant rebirth in that time, but it also means more generally to produce something. In one of the suttas they say, it's usually translated, uh, rebirth is suffering, no rebirth is happiness. Sariputta says. And that is just the word abhinibhati. Uh, what it translates here is produce because it has both these meanings. So when it says produce a complete figure, then it, in the Pali you clearly see, oh, this is about rebirth because it uses this word. But in the English, not so clear. Anyway, they pr we produce this rebirth using dialect, tumoro, indigo, and crimson, five different dyes. What do you think that stands for? Yes, that one is pretty obvious. Yeah, we don't need the commentaries to explain that. That stands for the five aggregates, the five khandhas, because it, it also explains it later. When unlearned ordinary produ people produce a next life, here I decided to translate that single word, abhinibhati, with uh, just the phrase produce a next life because it's definitely both the producing and the rebirth is implied in that one word. 
they produce just form, feeling, perception, will, and consciousness. So it's just that is all life is, as I said at the beginning, just these five aggregates. And once you see through them that there is nothing really valuable in them, that they are compared to Parinibbana, they're just annoyances. They're just in one sutta the Buddha talks about a a cow that wherever the cow went always got bitten by insects all the time. That is what it's like, these five aggregates. It's like being bitten all the time. And this is something that is people don't see. They think being conscious, having will and a body, it can be a source of real happiness. And that is why I say these topics are very deep. And that's why we don't talk about this on the Friday nights very often. But this is what the Buddha says. And this is what people who understand the Dhamma have seen. And they perceive life totally differently, the Buddha says. Yeah. What the, in one of the verses it says, what ordinary people think is happiness, the noble ones think is suffering. That's what it says. And it goes on, what ordinary people think is suffering, the noble ones see to be happiness. So, the, so ordinary people, that is Bertugianas, they think uh, that is not that is like a kind of suffering if you would stop existence because oh, they don't want to stop existing. That is not nice. That is like like suffering in a way. But uh, the Aryas they know that that is actually should be called happiness. It's not a kind of happiness because you know, if, you're, if there's no consciousness, there's not really like happiness in that kind of feeling sense. But it's happiness more like descriptive term, like if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When we read the suttas, I don't hold back on what I say. So consciousness is suffering. Uh, sorry to give you the bad news, or is it good news? Maybe it's good news because if I didn't tell you that, you would be stuck in samsara forever. Maybe. If the Buddha didn't tell us that, I should say. If the Buddha wouldn't have told us this, then we would be in really, really, really big trouble. We're still in trouble if you don't see this truth, but at least we have the Buddha telling us about it and we have the opportunity to understand. So I would like to end with a drawing I made to illustrate this uh, principle of, or this uh, metaphor of the painter. And I'm not sure if everybody on the internet can see it, but also people may be listening who have some uh, visual disability. So I'll describe it uh, in very much detail that you people are like, why are you describing it in so much detail? Now you know why. So on the left picture, I drew uh, a board, a wooden board, a wall and a canvas. And I pointed there. Those are the three realms that you can produce a rebirth in, like the painter. Yeah. Then on the right uh, picture, uh, I excuse for my drawing skills, but uh, uh, there we see actually somebody painting a picture on the on the canvas. So uh, the the person painting the picture is. Uh, labeled 
karma, or you could also label it craving, you know, these things all go together, just describe different aspects of the mind from different angles. So our karma, our craving, basically the forces that drive rebirth is this uh, illustrated by this painter. And they are holding um, a, a board with paint with five different paints on it, which are the five khandhas. And on the, on the canvas they have drawn a body of another person, which is representing the next life that they are creating. So that karma and craving create the next life. To go back to the uh, to the beginning, you will find no start to the transmigrations of beings who roam around obstructed or blinded by ignorance and chained by craving. And this is why they create they keep creating next life like the painter uh, creates different pictures yeah. Yeah. probably maybe part of the of the metaphor is also that in the time of the buddha what would have been the best way to sort of keep the image of a person alive when they were going to die is to make a drawing of them and yeah, you had all these these even in quite recent times you have all these kings uh, that, and all these rich people who had portraits made of them so to keep their image alive yeah so that was the way to sort of keep yourself alive after you died in a sense in the time of the buddha so maybe that's also implied in the simile that when the painter dies the painting lives on so there's also another image for rebirth when we die we will we might live on in another birth if we still have desire delusion if we still identify with these five khandhas if we still think there's something there that belongs to us we will pick them up again we will as i said that's why they're called taken up aspects of existence because we pick them up again at after death because we still attach to it and the mind can't let go and because it can't let go it'll create rebirth so after this the sutta continues with a very standard passage which is repeated again and again throughout the suttas. It's found, for example, in the Anatalakana Sutta, the very famous discourse on the uh, no-self. And it's, it's basically asking the, the monks about uh, uh, the aspects of existence, whether they are actually happiness or not. Yeah. And then they all reply that these are suffering and temporary venerable. Yeah. I'm not going to read it all out because we are uh, running a bit low on time. You m many of you will have heard this passage before. But just to remind you that the khandhas are called khandhas because they include all the different types. So consciousness includes all consciousness. And is it permanent or temporary? It's temporary. Is it, su is it pleasant or suffering? Suffering, etc. But to end on a happy note, there is a way out. So I will just read the final paragraph. So you may have to scroll down a bit there, just the final one. Mendicants, as a learned noble disciple, so now we're not talking about the unlearned people anymore, but now the learned noble disciples, the Aryas. When you see this, you get disillusioned with form, feeling, perception, will, and consciousness. Being disillusioned or worried or disappointed or 
you just had enough of them, that's what that word means, nibida. Being disillusioned, you lose desire. By losing desire, the mind gets liberated. When it is liberated, you will know it is. You will understand when you're enlightened that the holy life is finished, that the eighthful path is finished, basically. That the work is done. That rebirth has ended, so there won't be a hereafter. And that is when suffering ends and our journey throughout samsara finally comes to a stop. And this is a beautiful end to the journey because you become a person who has no desires, who is a beacon in this world, somebody who has no sense of self anymore at all, and who lives in full um, harmony with how life actually is instead of how we deludedly think it is. So that is a wonderful thing to aim at in its own right, I feel. Just enlightenment. Don't have to only aim for the complete end of suffering, but just enlightenment itself is also an inspiring thing to aim for as well. So I would like to end it there and open up for some more questions. Who, who, who has a question? Uh, we've, see, we've heard Eddie and Ananda before. Anybody else? You, uh, you can also ask questions afterwards, but maybe other people first. Everybody happy? What, what, did this all make sense? Yeah? Did you like it or did you feel like this is a bit, a bit too much or whatever? How was it like? Yeah? Challenging, isn't it? Yeah. It is challenging. But the Buddha is not uh, um, just uh, petting us, basically. He is telling us the way things really are. And it's really challenging. Buddhism is a really challenging religion. But that also makes it beautiful, and that's what makes it um, worthwhile. Because if a religion doesn't challenge you, for me it feels that something must be wrong there in a way. It has to be challenging, because, I don't know, that's, doesn't that make sense in some way? That it has, yeah, because it, I, I can't, sometimes there's things you just can't put in words, but I just have that feeling life reality has to be challenging in a way has to be something we have to put forth uh i was gonna say effort yeah put forth effort to to understand to really go deep inside our own being and inside our own minds to understand these things and my lovely teacher ajahn brahm well, my loveliest teacher, the Buddha, of course, has spoken about this many times, but also my lovely teacher, Ajahn Brahm, has spoken about these things, the jhanas especially, is the way to get to see these things. And that is what the Buddha also says in the suttas. By samadhi is uh, the condition for seeing things as they really are. So that's why we teach so much meditation. Yeah. He says, my intention most of the time. We, we make happier people with meditation. That's wonderful. Very worthwhile. But meditation can also lead to the highest happiness of all, which is to get out of samsara altogether. And that is why I really teach meditation. So, no more questions or not then? Okay.
Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Just a comment that, that she really appreciates this Buddhist society that we present different views from the world. Yeah, and I agree. It's really a privilege that we can all be here. We should make the most of it, that we are in this situation. Because samsara, as Buddha said, is very long and you don't know what's going to happen next. So in this life, at least, we are in a good situation where we can uh, do our best to practice. Ananda and Eddie, you still had questions as well? Sorry, I skipped you earlier, but you know why, uh, you, you understand, yeah. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie first. Yes, yes. Right. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, but by ordinary people, do you include yourself? <laughs> Yeah, because sometimes people think like, ah, oh, these things are beyond me. But uh, you might be closer than you think. I'm not kidding, because it, uh, I mentioned the jhanas before, but when, once you uh, have those kinds of extraordinary experiences, uh, and you might just have one one day, then these things start to make an incredible amount of sense. And you, you're not, you might not be as far away as you think you are. Yeah. Well, let's not get into the whole subject of the middle way, but uh, the middle way in, uh, means basically uh, in the time of the Buddha, people were either indulging in the sensual pleasures or they were like really hurting their bodies, thinking that either happiness, bodily pleasures were uh, the best thing you could have in life or if you wanted to escape, uh, suffering then that you would have to hurt your body somehow mortification basically like uh, sleeping on a bed of nails or something you know that's what many people did then in India people still do these kind of things and the, the Buddha tried those things of course he, when he was uh, living with his uh, rich father he had uh, all these uh, big houses and stuff so that's when he did essential pleasures and then he tried this mortification and he said oh the middle way is actually uh, avoiding bodily pleasures but also bodily pain and what is the middle way in Dhiganikara 28 Sariputta says it's well it's the eightfold path but even more specific specifically in the Dhiganikara 28 Sariputta says just to tie it back to what I said before that's why Sariputta says it's the jhanas it's the middle way 
the eighth-fold path is really the, the middle way in a hole, but the eighth-fold path ends also in the jhana. So. Because that is a kind of pleasure that is not bodily. So that's, that's why. It's still all very happy, but, well... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you you say it. it yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. People often say that. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, Eddie, but uh, that it, that it that it will take many lifetimes. But uh, I don't know any sutta that says that. <laughs> and I also think that, as I said before, you might be closer than you think. Yeah. Because it takes just a different perspective. Well, that's a really mild way to put it. It's not just a different perspective, but it just it takes just a different way of looking. Like I might be looking to the front the whole time during this talk. How much effort is it to look to the back and see see the Buddha, see what enlightenment is? Huh? It, we don't do that during our talks, and we think, ah, oh, many lifetimes I've been stuck. But it just takes. Takes that. Yeah. Hmm. It is Eddie. Yeah. So now Ananda, if you want to still ask. Yeah. Okay. All ah, right. Okay. So Ananda is asking when, or saying that when uh, beings are purified, when the mind is purified, does that refer to the to the jhanas as well? Uh, I don't think so. Well, I, I would say no, actually, because you can have a jhana and then come out and still be deluded again. So when it says here purified, it means like permanently purified. Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah, temporary liberation. Yeah. Yes, that is right. In the jhanas is, uh, I think I've pointed, hinted at it before, you temporarily abandoned the uh, the farmers. So if you are in jhana, your mind is in a way temporary, uh, very similar to the Buddhas. But you come out and your defilements still come back. So it's not really purified yet in that sense. Yeah, but the jhanas are also called like some bodhisukha, happiness of awakening, because it's the same kind of experience as the Buddha had after his awakening, you will have before awakening already. But then you have to learn from them, that's the point. Because that's where these really insights come from. Yeah, please. The end of rebirth, the dissolution of self. Yes, you could definitely 
point, say it in that way. Yeah, that's sort of what the Buddha is saying here, right? Because we, fake, we think things are me, my, myself. That's why we're stuck in samsara. And if we don't think of all these things as me, my, myself anymore, that's basically the passage that I skipped. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, but another time. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so you think rebirth can be interpreted as a, like the sense of self changing from one thing or another to another. Yeah, uh, that's not how the suttas talk about it though. Yeah, so when in, in, in this kind of sutta the Buddha talks about transmigration, then it really means uh, rebirth in a literal sense. Uh, and throughout the suttas, that's what it means. You see, when he talks about the animal realm, uh, when you take one sutta in, out of uh, in, 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 in isolation, then it's uh, sometimes a bit hard to see what it, what he means. But the word samsara by itself already already uh, always uh, refers to what we would we just call rebirth in English. Yeah, yeah. But it can be a useful way to think about it in that sense. Sometimes, as I said at the very beginning, people take different uh, lessons from these kind of suttas. But yeah, that is what that is. Uh, not really what I would say the Buddha was really pointing at, but it can be a useful perspective still. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, okay, everybody. That, yeah, thanks. let's thank the Buddha for the sutta, not me. So let's do that by paying res respect to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Arahang Sama Sambudo Pagawa Budang Pagawantang Abiwati Swakato Pagawata Damo Damang Namasan Supatipano Bhagavato Sawagasanglo Sangam Namah.